you can have all of those identities, but do you have the capacity inside of yourself to recognize that if that part of your identity was to dissolve, would you still in your conscious mind recognize that you were whole? there. I'm Tanya, and you're listening to Human and Holy, a podcast where we discuss the deepest parts of Torah, not just as scholars, but also as human beings. If you are listening to this and would like to support the work of Human and Holy and help us get the messages of Hasidus out into the world, please visit humanandholy.com slash sponsor to sponsor an episode of the podcast or give in any amount. Feel free to email us at info at humanandholy.com for more information or to inquire about specific dedication opportunities. Today's episode is about not getting lost in the identities we've built for ourselves. And learning how to recognize that every part of ourselves is simply a piece of the story. And at our essence, we are just a yechida, an unchanging, whole, connected piece of God. Dasi Zar speaks about the evolution of her own life, learning how to hold our identities loosely so that we can move through life with our neshama taking center stage. I'm so excited to have you here. Can you begin just by sharing your name? Tell us your name and tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and what you're into and passionate about. Sure. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm Dossie Zar. I currently live in Great Neck on Long Island. I'm a full-time mom and I'm very deep in motherhood right now, which is a lot and also a huge blessing, which is, I guess, also part of my story is my fertility journey and all of that, but that's for another time. Most recently, my husband and I were downtown on Shluchis with the Corns at Chabad House Bowery. We were fortunate enough to be part of the community, very much involved with the young professionals and the students. We had a very open home downtown. It was a very, very special time in our lives, also very difficult and had its whole slew of challenges. I have a background in hypnobirthing, yoga, sadula for many years, yoga instructor. And I guess what I'm most passionate about is soul growth on a personal level. I have a lot of work to do. So (laughs) I've been very immersed in that for a long time. And I guess holding space for women that are in their phase, just becoming more present with what is. I think that the ups and downs of my personal life have lent themselves to trying to go a little bit deeper. I think challenges can have a way of doing that to you. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you. You're one of the people that just from speaking to you, I'm excited to just be in your presence for an hour. (laughs) Even just the way you began with such an open heart, I really felt it. So wow, thank you. Thank you. That's so sweet. (laughs) I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for making this container. I'm like a huge fan. Yay. I'm so excited to have you here. 
Today we're going to talk about this idea in Hasidus, which is very practical, but will sound so lofty when I say it. Havaya hu halekim, the fact that concealment and revelation are one, essence and expression are one thing. So before we get into just like what that means and what that looks like in your life, can you explain the concept? Yes, it's so loaded and so heavy. (laughs) And like now you're saying it and I'm like, I said that? Like that's a lot. But I guess to me, when we were speaking, what really was flowing through our conversation was that we really get caught up in the stuff, the story, where our lives take us. And we don't really realize that all of that is just part of the oneness. What we were talking about was getting stuck and caught up in our persona, in the externals, in the entrapments of the identities that we build for ourselves. And I guess as you get older, you find yourself in different life phases, whether it's your singlehood, your marriage, your being a parent, going through a fertility journey, going through grief, going through whatever, processing through whatever. As human beings, we are made up of our five senses. And so we naturally are wired to get really tied up with these identities. And they become us in this really intense way. And especially now, I think about it a lot with like social media and being an influencer. And like, I sometimes think about the persona versus the real person. And it it could be that somebody's real true self is coming out. But it's also important to separate the two, right? There's the persona and there's dissolving the persona and remembering that beneath that, when we de-layer there's this light that's shining through. And I guess for me in the different phases that I have found myself in, I've had to like grieve over different personas that I've had, whether it was a shlucha or it was my singlehood. And I'm not even talking about pre-marriage. I'm even talking about when I was married and going through my fertility challenges, I identified with on this woman that I was embracing that life of, I don't have kids yet, but I'm this strong, powerful, you know, And there was even a grieving process and transitioning from that to my motherhood. And I think that for me, as I've gotten more present with this, is change is hard. Change is really difficult, especially for me. And I've had to really learn tools to remind myself and to not get hung up when those transitions are happening, not to hold so tight because like Mm. we want to hold on and we're like, no, that's me. That's who I am. That's everything I've built. And it's like, no, it's really not actually. It's a part of you and it's beautiful and glorious and delicious, but it's just a part. And the more we can create a little bit of space from that, I find like the more we can flow into relationship and experiences and change, right? Things are constantly changing around us. So Havayahu Alokim is really the persona and the essence, like truly it's all one, but we get really tied up in the Alokim and we shouldn't be fooled into thinking that that's where it starts and ends. It's like, no, there's something much greater fueling that. And can I come back into that space on a regular basis, make it a part of my lifestyle to come back into that, no matter how I'm manifesting, whether it's minute by minute in my day, I'm wearing all different hats, but being able to practice coming back into wholeness, regardless of what 
I'm doing. Yeah. We talk so much about how we can identify with our essence and with our souls. But just as you said, we so often get caught up in our personas and our identities and the different ways that we've defined ourselves. And it could be throughout our lives, throughout our day, but like there's certain personas that we're more attached to that are harder to let go of. For sure. I can so relate to that. I am this evolved, emotional, blah, 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 blah. And it's like ripping away from that is so hard, but also what's beyond that, there's so much more actually. And we create these identities that we think are so pretty and beautiful, but there's more, if that makes sense. We limit ourselves. We limit ourselves. Tell me what that journey has been like for you to let go of certain identities, to come back to a sense of innate wholeness. Like particular experiences? Yeah. You want me to get like into it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One hundred percent. Let's do this. You seem down. I'm very down. I'm always okay, good. down. Good, good, good. I guess I'll start with most recently. We were on Shulchas downtown. It was a great run, and that is something that I over-identify. I can look back now and say, like, whoa, how much of my identity was built on that persona? And it's an amazing persona, and it's holy and incredible and powerful. And actually, like anybody who has the opportunity to do that, like you are kind of forced to be in a position to rip layers away and question. And uh, there's just a lot. There's a lot. But there's an identity that we attach to. And when we made the decision to move to Long Island, it was a big part of me had to grieve over that identity and that loss. And... I was so tied up in that's who I am. It took time really for me to regulate and say like, hey, that's a part and a phase and is still who I am, a part of who I am, but is not me in my entirety. And I had to allow a process to kind of happen, like a disintegration of my ego. Again, this dissolving and that dissolving like, Okay, now you can come back into, and it's, I guess it's like always this cycle, right? We surface and we go back under, it's like this vortex that just pulls us in and then we got spit back out and it's like, okay, now I'm a mom, I'm on carpool line, let's go. This is who I am. But I'm also like, is this who I am? Was that who I am? Like identity crisis. Yeah. Where am I? Who am I? And it's like being present with where you are and what's needed from you right now is I think the most important thing. Whatever stage or phase of life you're in, it's important to recognize as a part of who I am. It's not me in my entirety. There's different parts that need to be nurtured, loved, heard, seen. And how can I bring all of myself to the table? And also noticing what would happen if that part of me crumbled? Mm. Would I fall apart? Who would I be? Am I scared of that? What am I scared of? If I'm really scared, then there's an imbalance, I think. My question is, can I ask you, do you think all expression has to be a persona or an identity? Is it possible to express ourselves in the world without latching on to that expression as being our identity or being our persona? And it being what? Like, what are you suggesting? You're mentioning how you left Shlachas and then having to grieve that identity that you had is it possible for someone to be in an experience where they're so devoted to something and not 
have that be their persona? What would that look like? For sure. I think when you're a whole person and you're just a well-integrated person, your shluchas, your things gel. I think that's a very high caliber person. I think also it's exactly what you're saying. It's also how much do you make that your persona versus it is just an expression of who you are. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. So a hundred percent, that's the ideal goal. But I think that sometimes we can stumble in getting stuck in persona and identity land versus it really coming from the essence of who we are. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so I think what I was grieving was a superficial aspect. The truth of what I was doing was coming from in a deeper place. But I think the For grieving sure. is just this superficial stuff. Because you are who you are. The way that I was activated then is the way that I'm activated now. But I think it was just the surface of now it's in this frame versus this frame. What I'm trying to say is that there's identity and ego and persona versus the essence shining through. And sometimes we can get stuck in the superficial part. Yeah, absolutely. Like you were saying, even shluchas can become a persona. Even the holiest things can just become something that we use as like a mask to move through the world so that like we can define ourselves in the mirror and to other people when we meet them. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And like you were saying, the online world definitely feeds into that. The fact that people define themselves, like people build a brand around their personalities, which exactly is the ultimate. And it's also silly because then you meet that person and you're like, oh, you're a real person. You're not that, but that's what we see. And that's what we experience. We're like this all day. So it's become much harder to broaden and like recognize, whoa, there's so much more here. But that's the struggle too, though, is that even if the persona is authentic, it's still like if we are over-identifying with it, it can still be unhealthy. So that's what I would love to like pick your brain on is how do we find that sweet spot of being able to actually express ourselves in a way that we don't overly attach ourselves to that expression and to that identity that we're creating? Yeah. What we talked about a little bit was IFS and that modality of therapy, I think is very, very powerful in that because it really feeds into the idea that you're not a mono mind. You don't have one track. You have different parts of you and they're all important and necessary and need to breathe and speak and have a seat at the table. But those are just parts. And then there's the self. There's the Yechidah nefesh. There's the Yechidah consciousness, which is the negotiator and sort of the one that doesn't have an agenda and isn't pushing, forcing, proving. There's none of that. It's just love, kindness, compassion. It's when we're in alignment, I think. And learning to be able to unblend these parts and say, okay, this is a part of me. It's surfacing. It needs attention. Let's talk to it. Let's get to know it. Let's see what's going on. And then we can become also more integrated, less radical. Parts of us can become very radical if they're unheard, unseen, shoved away, exiled. So the integration and the compassion for self, all parts, is crucial to our soul's aliyah while we're here. I mean, that's exactly the tikkun. is like how much of your yechida can become present in this story to elevate and help the parts to accomplish what they need to accomplish. And those parts are necessary. They help us. They're our creativity. They're our parnasa. They're our relationships. They, they show up in everything. I think when they're not really seen properly, 
then that's when relational issues surface. Can you expound on that? Yeah. When you talk about what your triggers are, your triggers are really just parts of you that are feeling a radical emotion. And it has nothing to do with the agent that's bringing that trigger on. It predates that person, right? It could be your childhood. It could be a past incarnation. It can be a lot of things. And so it's important to start to notice those triggers and start to build relationship with those triggers. Therapy helps. Noticing your triggers helps. And starting to build real dialogue, starting to become more self-led, led with your highest self. Obviously, that's hard. We don't really operate on that level. The Rebbe operates on that level. So we use the Rebbe as a reference point. We always talk about the Rebbe's compassion, kindness. When the Rebbe looked at somebody, the Rebbe saw the essence. No matter how horrible the person was, the Rebbe saw light. And we need to practice that for ourselves, for others. And that's hard. Mm. Can you speak a little bit on how the different parts of the Nefesh Bahamas, the Nefesh Bahamas is made up of different elements, how that plays a role in what you're speaking about? Sure. Our Nefesh Bahamas is made up of different parts, right? The Altar Rebbe says, I think it's in chapter two, that earth, water, fire, air. So there's so much going on in the Nefesh Bahamas. When I'm saying parts, I guess I'm I'm using IFS language, but really what it means is that we have parts of us that protect us. We have parts of us that manage us. We have parts of us that will go to no end to, I mentioned protecting to be a firefighter, collateral damage. We'll do whatever it takes, no matter what the cost is to protect us, to create walls. We have parts of us that have fear, have sense of abandonment, shame. These are all parts of the Nefesh And Really, the entire work of Hasidus, Tanya, is all about the tikkun with the Nefesh right? It's like you have to become so intimate with the truth of who you are. And it's work. It's real work. And I think for a long time I was like in, I taught Tanya for years, and it was still very much up here for me. The avoda and the inner work didn't really start for me personally until I think I started IFS therapy because it just became more real and more tangible. And I was able to say, ah, this part of my nefesh promise needs attention right now. Mm. This little girl that feels insecure, that feels abandoned, that feels misunderstood, that feels in pain. And I didn't really have that language before. Although now I'm like, wow, this is pure Hasidus. This is pure Tanya. It just helps to understand the ideas more. When we really push ourselves to go inward and do the work that we're meant to, when we look at our spouse and say, these are our issues and not you, these are things that come up for me. It has nothing to do with your partner and everything to do with your own stuff that you need to do. And the same thing with your children and the same thing with your parents and the same thing with your siblings. Those are the most intimate relationships. I mean, sometimes it's a grandparent, sometimes it's a friend a guardian. But if we take the time to really look at the triggers with the cluster of souls that surround us, that's where the work is. Would you call the Yechida, our essence, a part? Or would you call it something else? What would you call it? Not a part. Yeah. What would you call it? The parts have agendas, right? Our fear has an agenda. 
Our protection has an agenda. The Yechida has no agenda. There's no trying. There's no proving. There's no performing. It just is. Just is safe, comfortable, kind, compassionate, loving, not triggered, not overly emotional. It's extremely calm. And it's very easy. I mean, we don't operate in that place. We are, we can have moments, you know, experiences where it brings it out. We talk about that in Chassidus a lot. You hear a lot that Yom Kippur, you have access to it. And our whole job is to learn about the Yechida, to understand what Yechida consciousness is, and bring that into our day-to-day and say, hey, how can I try to come into Yechida consciousness right now. It's not reactive. It's hard for me to say it even because I find it impossible. It's really challenging. It's really, really challenging when we're being very honest. Yeah. I've done this work before of like, okay, I know what Yechida consciousness is. I know how to come into self. And then when I think I'm in self, there's an imposter there because then afterwards I'm like, oh, actually I was really looking for recognition. I was really looking for appreciation. You know, it's tri- It's subtle. It's really, really subtle. Yechita consciousness is like no agenda. It has nothing to do with you. You have moments of that with your children when you give and you're not thinking about it. But think about a moment with a friend or your spouse is a very easy one where you're like extra nice. And it's like, oh, that was Yechita. It's like close, but like really, did you not have an agenda? It's kind of a lot. That's why we say Yechida is not accessible. It's not easy unless you're going through Mesiris Nefesh. That's what I've always learned is like Mesiris Nefesh will help you access your. Okay. What is my Mesiris Nefesh right now with my husband? What is my Mesiris Nefesh right now with my children? Can I really come into that space? I don't know if what I'm saying resonates at all. This is just something that I think about. Here's what I'm wondering about is that if I can't access my Yechida, which yes, our Yechida is awoken you know, in really specific times, how do I access my essence throughout my life? Like I want to access my essence. We want to dig so that I could be expressing myself from my essence. So how can I? I just want to make like a disclaimer. This is all my own personal take and I could be completely off and wrong and inaccurate. So I just want that to be known. (laughs) Is that okay? Is that fair? I think we all have our personal take on it. Okay, because I don't want it to be like, that's not accurate. And then it's like, yeah, I said that. (laughs) This is just my (laughs) personal exploration of it. This is what I've been led to. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. So your question of how do we access Yechida consciousness, I've looked into it a little bit because when I'm engaged in my IFS therapy, these are the questions that come up for me because I'm like, wow, this sounds like Hasidus, but like, then how do I access the self, this highest part of myself? If it's so, so, so hard, and actually my therapist said to me, think of the Rebbe. First of all, the Rebbe is a reference point. Mm. So when you are having a moment, actually meditate on the Rebbe, which was crazy because I didn't expect that. But like, obviously, Mm. that makes so much sense. It's a good one. And also, we have parts of us that mirror the Yechida. The manager very much mirrors the Yechida. When the manager part of us is like at a loss and it's not, not essence, but for us to operate from an essence place all the time, that's a Rebbe. That's not human and holy, that it is human and holy, but that's not our Voda. Hashem didn't make us that way. Our Voda is to learn about the Yechida, learn what it looks like, 
We have, thank God, a Rebbe that exemplifies Yechidic consciousness. And we have parts of us that can learn to operate that way and can say, hey, is that with an agenda? Okay, let me see if I can go a little bit deeper and a little less agenda. And with time, I'm not saying we're going to ever necessarily get to a place where that's it. I don't know that that's the end goal. The goal is just the work. The work of, okay, that is what Yechidic consciousness is. Right now where I am, take one itsy-bitsy step to less agenda, more compassion. Mm. Immediately what comes to mind for me is the Bainani of the Tanya. Yes, 100%. And I will say that I think I've heard Rabbi Chase Taub say, or Rabbi Paltiel, the nefesh asichli, the intellectual part of the neshama is like the manager. It's the intellectual go-between, the nefesh Bahamas and the nefesh alokit. And so this manager part of us has the intellect to learn and understand what is Yechida consciousness? What am I working towards? What does that look like? And it communicates it with the nefesh Bahamas. And the nefesh Bahamas is like, bro, I just want to chill. And the nefesh sechlis is like, this is, speaks the language, understands the art of communication with the nefesh Bahamas, and can be the go-between, between higher consciousness and nefesh Bahamas consciousness, which is just self, ego. I don't even like that word, but like just kind of self-centered, which is in an extreme. We're not really like that. Now that we've gotten the groundwork on this whole idea of having an essence and having all these different parts of ourselves, how our animal soul expresses itself in so many different ways of wanting to protect us, of wanting to keep us safe, of you know wanting to protect our pride, et cetera, et cetera. And then we have this ability to bridge that with our essence and with our yachita. And even if we're not fully tuned into our yachita, even if we just know what our yachita wants, we could find harmony between those two. I want to revisit the first thing that we were speaking about, which is the grief that we feel when we lose a part of ourselves, when we lose a piece of our nefesh of Bahamas identity, when we lose a persona, a job that we really cherished, it could be the place that you live, whatever it is, because I think that's something that we all experience in our lives. And I want you to walk us through your process of that and how this idea shapes your understanding of your grief and your process of coming. Is it into a new persona or have you detached a little bit and allowed more openness between the persona and essence? I think it's that. I think it's exactly what you just said. It's that compassion. This is the way that Hashem made me. It's very intentional to have these parts to feel like I'm a super spiritual person, but I also love nice things. And these are all just parts of me. And there's no part that's bad. There's room for all of it. There's unconditional spaciousness for all of it. In fact, it's really meant for all of it. Like Hashem, that's the goal. The goal really is to create the spaciousness for all the parts. Because Yechida, if you think about it, right? This just came to my mind. There's what happened before creation was Olam Hatohu. There was a destruction. There was no integration between the parts. They were all radicalized. They were not able to coexist. Each one was in its most extreme form. And there was Shvirat HaKelim. There was an explosion. And now the entire tikkun is lifting up those parts. We've lifted them. It's time for Ka'ula. But this is a very much a mirror reflection of us, the tohu within us. And I think our entire 
evolution here is to create a space where these parts can coexist, where there isn't a tohu, where they're not radicalized. And the only way that that can happen is if we're self-led, if we're led by our yechida. Only the yechida can do that. Only the essence can do that. It's like your house is crazy. You have one kid on a chandelier. You have one kid swimming in a pond. It's mayhem. But let's say mom comes home or dad comes home. Let's change the narrative. Dad comes home and suddenly there's a shleimut because there's voice. Hopefully what that voice is, is, oh, you want to go for a swim? Oh, you're feeling like anxious. You want to do something fun. You want to get out that energy. Okay. Let's talk about how we could do that. Oh, you're swinging from the chandelier. Were you feeling a little claustrophobic here? Like what was happening? There's that compassion. There's like, okay, there are issues here. Let's talk about what's happening for you. And that can only be done from the oneness of the Yehida, which is the spark of Hashem that's within us that's whole and one and loving and kind and compassionate. So is it about finding wholeness between all pieces of myself? Or is it about finding separation from certain pieces of myself so that I don't over-identify with them? It's never separation. Not separation. No. It's like if you imagine a tree, there's all these different branches. And you might think, oh, that branch looks pretty dead. Let me trim it. But really the point is to help that branch grow. And so maybe, yeah, you have to trim it a little bit, but it's only for the purpose of seeing fruit bear from it long-term. But maybe you don't know what that looks like right now. But it's never about cutting a part of us away. I don't believe. I don't mean separation as in like this cutting, but more the distance that you mentioned, like cultivating a certain distance between our essence and our identity. I think it's just knowing it's not my yichida. This is a part of me. I can be, let's say, an artist. There's a time when the artist needs to immerse in her artwork to be able to express. And the only way that the beauty of what she's trying to create is when she's really immersed in one with that part of herself. But to be immersed in that and to not recognize that there are other parts and that there's a yechida which transcends that part, I think the goal is to recognize that. Mm. So walk me through this in motherhood. You mentioned sitting in the carpool line. And I think that's an area where a lot of women experience either the lack of distance, too much distance, feeling like essence and mother, where's the boundary between those two things? So walk us through what that looks like practically for you. Yeah. So I'll say like my experience personally, it took six years to have our first. And so there was like an identifying with that aspect of my life of, I'm not a mom. I'm very much not a mom. I will be a mom, God willing, but I'm not. And so I needed to identify with something, which was superwoman, shlucha, blah, 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 all the story, 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 story. And so when I did come into my motherhood, there was a grieving process because it was like, well, I've always wanted to be a mom, but then what's that? And it's like, oh, that's a part, which is very important and very much part of who I am and is beautiful but it's not the essence of who I am. And I think motherhood, the same. It's a part of who I am, not the essence of who I am. My essence can shine through there. And that's the whole point is that when I'm activated through a part, which I always am, I'm always a mother, a wife, a this, a that. I'm always finding myself in a part. 
can I come into Yechida consciousness right now? What does that mean? What does that look like? That's what you're saying. So in that space of shlacha, motherhood, dating, single, grieving is how can I come into what the Yechida is? What is the Yechida? The Yechida is, and again, this is my interpretation, but Yechida is one, right? It's a oneness. And that oneness expresses itself with unconditional compassion, kindness, connectivity, creativity. What does Chassidah say that the Yechida is? It's our spark with Hashem that's totally one, and there's nothing changing about it. As humans, we come into, how can I perform? How can I be better? That's not Yechida. Yechida is already whole and intact. So how can I be in a place of productivity where I'm producing, I'm making this podcast, but I can also have as a backdrop that I'm whole with or without this podcast dropping. Let's say this podcast that we're on right now gets deleted. I'm just saying, okay, where does that leave me? And we can look at that in any aspect of our life, I think, of like, this can crumble now. How much can I just come into, this is a part, this is not indicative of like the truth of what I am, which is whole and one and light and love and compassion and kindness. Which makes me think that the process of grieving certain identities when we lose them is inevitable. It's not possible because I'm the whole time I'm thinking like, so what would it look like to just live in a way where we don't form identities so that we don't experience that grief? I think it's also, you can have all of those identities, but do you have the capacity inside of yourself to recognize that if that part of your identity was to dissolve, would you still in your conscious mind recognize that you were whole? And if you don't, there's some tweaking that needs to happen there. So I'm not saying to not over-identify. A little bit. Yes. A little bit. I think that is part of the goal. Yeah. Not to over-identify, but to identify, like I'm just thinking, because you mentioned family, and I'm thinking you don't want to over-identify with your role as a mother, but of course we identify with that role. And if God forbid someone lost it. God forbid. Grief is absolutely inevitable. Like there's no way to avoid grief of an identity that is so deep and And personal. It should. should. Exactly. But the over-identification is simply that there's still a part of me that I can access that is separate from that identity. That identity doesn't swallow me whole. Yeah. It's not so groundbreaking. It's like, oh, duh. Like (laughs) now we are saying it and I'm like, oh, duh. Like that makes so much sense. But for whatever reason, I don't know. I have found that I really struggled when I couldn't let go. The hardest part was accepting. Like I denied the process of letting go. And so I couldn't be free. Even in my motherhood, when I was going through really hard, I mean, six years of like really intense, hard stuff. Can't imagine. I have a very specific memory on a Shabbos that was, I felt an acceptance that I had never felt before. And I said to myself, I was in my bed, I was crying, screaming, yelling at Hashem. And then a wave, I don't know why or how, came over me. And I was like, okay, I'm not a mom. And there was an acceptance in that moment. There was a resistance for so long, and then there was an acceptance. And somehow from that acceptance, there was a spaciousness of possibility that opened in my mind. That I felt like there was 
suddenly there was space. But it only happened once I accepted the letting go of the vision that I had. Because it was like, that might have been your vision, but Hashem's vision is so much greater than yours. How willing are you to drop it and allow, create space for what is intended? And that happened in a second. That wasn't like, oh, over time I worked on it. It was just like, there was a download. I mean, it took me time to, I think, be ready to get to that place. But once it happened, there was no going back to what was before. There was just like a knowing. It was like, okay, I'm going to be a mom. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know what it's going to look like. And there was just like, I'm doing this motion like surrender. That was one of the moments in my life where I had to like completely dissolve my identity and like what I thought I knew and what I expected and what my vision was and come into like this flatness. And only from that place, like, was anything real going to give birth? Because that's the greatest blockage is when we are so attached to certain things or visions in our life that we cannot allow for God's beautiful plan to emerge in our lives because we're holding on so tightly either to our vision or to what is, be it good or bad, that there's no space for anything new to come in. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. Well, that was a great run. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a wrap. (laughs) And that's a wrap, my friend. Mic drop. No, the truth is, is that I think that this piece of like where I can actually play a role in making space for God's plan in my life is the most proactive part of it because the inevitable process of things changing and my own grief and just being like open to that evolution is an inner process. But then this piece about letting God do his thing and not holding on so tightly to my identity so that I don't even let it happen. Like I shut down opportunities. I shut down relationships. I shut down so much because I'm like, that's not who I am. Right, 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 right. It takes time. It really does. That letting go process. But then when it happens, it's like, ah, there's like a light that goes off. But like, there's definitely a work that has to happen, I think, for us to be able to really get there. And I think for myself, I was like letting go for a long time. But in hindsight, there was a lot of resentment. There was a lot of anger. There was a lot of bitterness. That's where I was activated from. There is very different letting go from surrender and letting go from resentment and anger. And like hopelessness also. Yeah. It's very different. Yeah. I felt that very intensely. That's a really good differentiation. Yeah. It's kind of easy to be like, you forgot about me. Like what happened to me? Okay, fine. I don't want this anyway. And it's like, that's really small. There's much more. But you, you kind of have to allow. It's like a toddler. It's like, think about your kid. It's like, they're going to throw the tantrum and they're going to be angry. And then you're like, oh, baby, you need a hug, mommy. Let me hold you. It takes a minute Yeah. to come around. Yeah. It's hard to just let go softly. But like, we don't want to settle in that place. Yeah. That's just the early phase. And then there's like another phase. Yeah. Am I letting go out of like hopelessness and resentment and anger? Maybe it might start from that place, but then can I let it turn into a yes, softness yes, and a safety? Yes, there's an evolution of the intention. 
Yeah. So what would be your advice to every human on this planet? (laughs) (laughs) How do we incorporate this process? What would it look like for someone to really be able to identify with their essence? So obviously we have all these different pieces of ourselves, our Nefesh Bahamas, but to look in the mirror and say, all of these pieces of who Hashem created me as a human being are pieces of who I am and I identify with them to some degree, but my truest identity is my Neshama and my Mm. truest identity is my essence. Yeah. I mean, listen, we don't see our Neshama, so it's kind of hard, right? So get in the mirror, get in touch with your body recognize that there's wholeness, that it's beautiful, have compassion for yourself. Look at your body and say, can I have compassion for myself? (laughs) I look at my C-section and I'm like, that is, why did he chop me like that? And it's like, okay, it's Mm. okay. It's going to be okay. Seriously, it's, it's so obvious, but it's also so like, can we do that for ourselves? Can I look at myself really with a loving eye? And I think once we can start having compassion on our parts, once we start activating that manager that mirrors the yechida and starts learning about kindness, compassion towards self, then we start projecting that. But if we're not projecting that, if we're not feeling that internally towards ourselves, it's very hard to project it outward. So it really starts with, do you have love, kindness, compassion for yourself? Do you have spaciousness for yourself? Can you forgive yourself? And that all sounds very fluffy and nice and easy, but trust me, when you're in therapy and crying every single week because you're really getting into it, you realize like, wow, I have some deep-rooted stuff that I really need to look at. I have some serious relational patterns. I have some serious tikkunim that I need to accomplish. That's not easy. It's not fun. I mean, I think different things in our life push us to, force us to face those things. And when we have to do that work, we're often faced with a lot of resistance. It's hard to go there. It's a luxury to go there. It really is. It's a gift and a bracha to be able to go there. Most people don't have that luxury. I'm very lucky, very lucky that Hashem has opened my eyes to my garbage. I mean, we live in a really dark world and we're very lucky that we have things that also push us in positive directions that are like, yeah, you're here for a purpose. It's not a joke. You're going to have fun. It's going to be great. And the challenges are like the stuff. I always say, you know, when you go to a birthday party and as a kid, like you get a goodie bag and like some of the stuff in there is like great. And some of them is like, what were they thinking? They just needed to fill the bag and they just put a random weird stuff in. That random weird stuff, that's the magic. We don't look at it like that. We're like, this is so lame. Like, what do I need this for? And it's like, no. Pay attention. That's exactly the point. Mm. (laughs) Usually. Hashem sends us into this world. Plop. And we get like a lot of great stuff. A lot. A lot of great stuff. And we also get stuff that's hard and painful and challenging. And that's also important to look at and face and welcome and approach with a tenderness and a compassion. And those are the parts, by the way, that usually we exile, we push away, we hide them away. We we don't want to look at them. We protect ourselves from them. I think that this is like a process that we experience time and time again and learning to find that balance of being able to express ourselves, not over-identifying, coming into alignment with our neshama, not exiling parts of our human selves, but also being able to find integration 
Yeah. It's a lot of self-reflection. A lot of integration, a lot of stuff. We yeah. come in with a lot of stuff. Like you said, the random goodie bag. Yeah. Yeah. This was beautiful. It was so raw. And I look forward to chewing on it for a long time. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. This was fun. Elokai zakinina betoatra uvimitotecha Mechamberet nishmati tamidinecha Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, I want to invite you to leave a rating or a review. It helps other people find the podcast. And you know, we're all about getting Chassidus into every corner of the world. I also want to invite you, if you really loved it, to share it with a friend who you think might love it too. If you would like to sponsor an episode, you can reach out to us at humanandholy at gmail.com. To give to Human and Holy in any amount, visit humanandholy.com slash sponsor. You can follow us on Instagram at humanandholy, and you can stay up to date with everything we do by signing up for our newsletter on humanandholy.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day. 